0: CD 2 There's magic all over the place, said Swires. An old witch used to live around here. She went a long time ago, but the, the magic still keeps the house going. Here, yeah, there's something odd about that door, said Twoflower. Why should a house need magic to keep it going, said Rincewind? Twoflower touched a wall gingerly. It's all sticky. <laughs> Nougat, said Swires. Good grief. A real gingerbread cottage. Rincewind, a real gingerbread... Rincewind nodded glumly. Yeah, the confectionery school of architecture, he said. It never caught on. He looked suspiciously at the licorice door knocker. It sort of regenerates, said Swires. Marvelous, really. You just don't get this sort of place nowadays. You just can't get the gingerbread. Really," said Rincewind gloomily. "Come on in," said the gnome. But mind the doormat. Why? It's candy floss. The great disk spun slowly under its toiling sun. And daylight pooled in hollows and finally drained away as night fell. In his chilly room in Unseen University, Trumon pored over the book, his lips moving as his finger traced the unfamiliar ancient script. He read that the great pyramid of Tsort, now long vanished, was made of one million three thousand and ten limestone blocks. He read that ten thousand slaves had been worked to death in its building. He learned that it was a maze of secret passages, their walls reputedly decorated with the distilled wisdom of ancient sort. He read that its height plus its length, divided by half its width, equaled exactly 1.67563, or precisely 1,237.98712567, times the difference between the distance to the sun and the weight of a small orange. "'he learned that sixty years had been devoted entirely to its construction. "'It all seemed, he thought, to be rather a lot of trouble to go to "'just to sharpen a razor-blade. "'And in the forest of Scund, two-flower and rinsewind "'settled down to a meal of gingerbread mantelpiece "'and thought longingly of pickled onions. "'And far away, but set as it were on a collision course, "'the greatest hero the disc ever produced rolled himself a cigarette, "'entirely unaware of the role that lay in store for him.' It was quite an interesting tailor-made that he twirled expertly between his fingers, because, like many of the wandering wizards from whom he had picked up the art, he was in the habit of saving dog-ends in a leather bag and rolling them into fresh smokes. The implacable law of averages therefore dictated that some of the tobacco had been smoked almost continuously for many years now. The thing he was trying unsuccessfully to light was, well, you could have coated roads with it. So great was the reputation of this person that a group of nomadic barbarian horsemen had respectfully invited him to join them as they sat around a horse turd fire. The nomads of the hub regions usually migrated rimwards for the winter, and these were part of a tribe who had pitched their felt tents in the sweltering heat wave of a mere minus three degrees and were going around with peeling noses and complaining about heat stroke. The barbarian chieftain said, what then are the greatest things that a man may find in life? This is the sort of thing you're supposed to say to maintain step cred in barbarian circles. The man on his right thoughtfully drank his cocktail of mare's milk and snowcat blood and spoke thus. The crisp horizon of the steppe, the wind in your hair, a fresh horse under you. The man on his left said... The cry of the white eagle in the heights, the fall of the snow in the forest, a true arrow in your bow. The chieftain nodded and said, Surely it is the sight of your enemy slain, the humiliation of his tribe, and the lamentation of his women. There was a general murmur of whiskery approval at this outrageous display. Then the chieftain turned respectfully to his guest, a small figure carefully warming his chilblains by the fire, and said, But our guest, whose name is legend, must tell us truly, what is it that a man may call the greatest things in life? The guest paused in the middle of another unsuccessful attempt to light up. Voshai, he said toothlessly. "'I said, what is it that a man may call the greatest things in life?' "'The warriors leaned closer. "'This should be worth hearing.' "'The guest thought long and hard and then said with deliberation, "'Hot water, good dentistry and soft lavatory paper.' "'Brilliant octarine light flared in the forge.' Golder Weatherwax, stripped to the waist, his face hidden by a mask of smoked glass, squinted into the glow and brought a hammer down with surgical precision. The magic squealed and writhed in the tongs, but still he worked it, drawing it into a line of agonized fire. A floorboard creaked. Golder had spent many hours tuning them, always a wise precaution with an ambitious assistant who walked like a cat. D-flat. That meant he was just to the right of the door. Ah, Truman, he said without turning, and noted with some satisfaction the faint indrawing of breath behind him. Good of you to come. Shut the door, will you? Truman pushed the heavy door, his face expressionless. On the high shelf above him, various bottled impossibilities wallowed in their pickle jars and watched him with interest. Like all wizards' workshops, the place looked as though a taxidermist had dropped his stock in a foundry and then had a fight with a maddened glassblower, braining a passing crocodile in the process. It hung from the ceiling and smelt strongly of camphor. There were lamps and rings that Truman itched to rub, and mirrors that looked as though they could repay a second glance. A pair of seven-league boots stirred restlessly in a cage. A whole library of grimoires, not of course as powerful as the Octavo, but still heavy with spells, creaked and rattled their chains as they sensed the wizard's covetous glance on them. The naked power of it all stirred him as nothing else could. But he deplored the scruffiness and Golda's sense of theatre. For example, he happened to know that the green liquid bubbling mysteriously through a maze of contorted pipework on one of the benches was just green dye with soap in it. "'because he'd bribed one of the servants. "'One day, he thought, it's all going to go, "'starting with that bloody alligator.' "'His knuckles whitened. "'Well now,' said Golda cheerfully, "'hanging up his apron and sitting back in his chair "'with the lion-paw arms and duck legs, "'you sent me this memmy thing,' "'Trumon shrugged. "'Memo.' "'I merely pointed out, Lord, that the other orders have all sent agents to Scund Forest "'to recapture the spell while you do nothing,' he said. "'No doubt you will reveal your reasons in good time.' "'Your faith shames me,' said Golder. "'The wizard who captures the spell will bring great honour on himself and his order.' "'said Truman. "'The others have used boots and all manner of elsewhere spells. "'What do you propose using, Master?' "'Did I detect a hint of sarcasm there?' "'Absolutely not, Master. "'Not even a smidgen? "'Not even the merest smidgen, Master. "'Good, because I don't propose to go.' Goulder reached down and picked up an ancient book. He mumbled a command and it creaked open. A bookmark, suspiciously like a tongue, flicked back into the binding. He fumbled down beside his cushion and produced a little leather bag of tobacco and a pipe the size of an incinerator. With all the skill of a terminal nicotine addict, he rubbed a nut of tobacco between his hands and tamped it into the bowl. He snapped his fingers and fire flared. He sucked deep, sighed with satisfaction. "'Looked up. "'Still here, Trumon? "'You summoned me, master,' said Truman, levelly. "'At least that's what his voice said. "'Deep in his grey eyes was the faintest glitter "'that said he had a list of every slight, "'every patronising twinkle, every gentle reproof, "'every knowing glance, and for every single one Golda's living brain was going to spend a year in acid.' "'Oh, yes, so I did. "'Humor the deficiencies of an old man,' said Golder pleasantly. "'He held up the book he had been reading. "'I don't hold with all this running about,' he said. "'It's all very dramatic, mucking about with magic carpets and the like, "'but it isn't true magic to my mind. "'Take seven-league boots now. "'If men were meant to walk twenty-one miles at a step, "'I'm sure God would have given us longer legs.' "'Where was I?' "'I'm not sure,' said Trumon coldly. "'Ah, yes, strange that we could find nothing about the Pyramid of Sort in the library. "'You would have thought there'd be something, wouldn't you?' "'The librarian will be disciplined, of course.' Golder looked sideways at him. "'Nothing drastic,' he said. "'Withhold his bananas, perhaps.' "'They looked at each other for a moment.' "'Golder broke off first. "'Looking hard at Truman always bothered him. "'It had the same disconcerting effect as gazing into a mirror "'and seeing no one there. "'Anyway,' he said, "'strangely enough, I found assistance elsewhere. "'In my own modest bookshelves, in fact. "'The Journal of Skrelt Changebasket, the founder of our order. "'You, my keen young man who would rush off so soon, "'do you know what happens when a wizard dies?' "'Any spells he has memorised say themselves,' said Truman. "'It is one of the first things we learn. "'In fact, it is not true of the original eight great spells. "'By dint of a close study, "'Skrelk learned that a great spell will simply take refuge "'in the nearest mind open and ready to receive it. "'Just push the big mirror over here, will you?' "'Golder got to his feet and shuffled across to the forge, "'which was now cold.' The strand of magic still writhed, though, at once present and not present, like a slit cut into another universe full of hot blue light. He picked it up easily, took a long bow from a rack, said a word of power, and watched with satisfaction as the magic grasped the ends of the bow and then tightened until the wood creaked. Then he selected an arrow. Truman had tugged a heavy, full-length mirror into the middle of the floor. "'When I am head of the Order,' he told himself, I certainly won't shuffle around in carpet slippers. Truman, as mentioned earlier, felt that a lot could be done by fresh blood if only the dead wood could be removed, but just for the moment he was genuinely interested in seeing what the old fool would do next. He may have derived some satisfaction if he had known that Golder and change basket were both absolutely wrong. Golder made a few passes in front of the glass, which clouded over and then cleared to show an aerial view of the forest of Scund. He looked at it intently while holding the bow with the arrow pointing vaguely at the ceiling. He muttered a few words like, "'Allow for wind and speed of, say, three knots,' and "'Adjust for temperature,' and then, with a rather disappointing movement, "'Released the arrow.'" If the laws of action and reaction had anything to do with it, it should have flopped to the ground a few feet away, but no one was listening to them. With a sound that defies description, but which for the sake of completeness can be thought of basically as spang plus three days' hard work in any decently equipped radiophonic workshop, the arrow vanished. Golda threw the bow aside and grinned. Of course, it'll take about an hour to get there, he said. Then the spell will simply follow the ionized path back here, to me. Remarkable, said Truman, but any passing telepath would have read in letters ten yards high. If you, then why not me? He looked down at the cluttered workbench, where a long and very sharp knife looked tailor-made for what he suddenly had in mind. Violence was not something he liked to be involved in except at one remove. But the Pyramid of Sort had been quite clear about the rewards for whoever brought all eight spells together at the right time. And Trumon was not about to let years of painstaking work go for nothing because some old fool had a bright idea. "'Would you like some cocoa while we're waiting?' said Golda, hobbling across the room to the servant's bell. "'Certainly,' said Trumon.' He picked up the knife, weighing it for balance and accuracy. "'I must congratulate you, Master. "'I can see that we must all get up very early in the morning "'to get the better of you.' "'Golder laughed, and the knife left Truman's hand at such speed "'that, because of the somewhat sluggish nature of disc light, "'it actually grew a bit shorter and a little more massive "'as it plunged with unerring aim towards Golder's neck.' It didn't reach it. Instead, it swerved to one side and began a fast orbit, so fast that Golder appeared suddenly to be wearing a metal collar. He turned around, and to Truman it seemed that he had suddenly grown several feet taller and much more powerful. The knife broke away and shuddered into the door a mere shadow's depth from Truman's ear. "'Early in the morning,' said Golder pleasantly. "'My dear lad, you will need to stay up all night.' Have a bit more table, said Rincewind. No, thanks, I don't like marzipan, said Twoflower. Anyway, I'm sure it's not right to eat other people's furniture. <coughs> don't worry, said Swires. The old witch hasn't been seen for years. They say she was done up good and proper by a couple of young tearaways. Kids of today, commented Rincewind. I blame the parents, said Twoflower. Once you had made the necessary mental adjustments, the gingerbread cottage was quite a pleasant place. Residual magic kept it standing, and it was shunned by such local wild animals who hadn't already died of terminal tooth decay. A bright fire of licorice logs burned rather messily in the fireplace. Rincewind had tried gathering wood outside, but had given up. It's hard to burn wood that talks to you. He belched. This isn't very healthy, he said. I mean, why sweets? Why not... Crisp bread and cheese, or salami. Now, I could do with a nice salami sofa. Search me, said Swires. Old Granny Whitlow just did sweets. You should have seen her meringues. I have, said Rincewind. I looked at the mattresses. Gingerbread is more traditional, said Twoflower. What, for mattresses? Don't be silly, said Twoflower, reasonably. Who ever heard of a gingerbread mattress? Rincewind grunted. He was thinking of food, more accurately, of food in ankh pork. Funny how the old place seemed more attractive the further he got away from it. He only had to close his eyes to picture in dribbling detail the food stalls of a hundred different cultures in the marketplaces. You could eat squishy or shark's fin soup, so fresh that swimmers wouldn't go near it. And, "'Do you think I could buy this place?' said 2 Flower. "'Rincewind hesitated. "'He'd found it always paid to think very carefully "'before answering two flowers' more surprising questions. "'What for?' he said cautiously. "'Well, it just reeks of ambience.' "'Oh.' "'What's ambience?' said Swires, "'sniffing cautiously and wearing the kind of expression "'that said he hadn't done it, whatever it was. "'I think it's a kind of frog,' said Rincewind. "'Anyway, you can't buy this place "'because there isn't anyone to buy it from.' "'I think I could probably arrange that, on behalf of the Forest Council, of course,' interrupted Swires, trying to avoid Rincewind's glare. "'And anyway, you couldn't take it with you. "'I mean, you could hardly pack it in the luggage, could you?' "'Rincewind indicated the luggage, which was lying by the fire "'and managing in some quite impossible way to look like a contented but alert tiger, "'and then looked back at Twoflower. "'His face fell. "'Could you?' he repeated. He had never quite come to terms with the fact that the inside of the luggage didn't seem to inhabit quite the same world as the outside. Of course, this was simply a byproduct of its essential weirdness, but it was disconcerting to see Twoflower fill it full of dirty shirts and old socks, and then open the lid again on a pile of nice crisp laundry smelling faintly of lavender. Twoflower also bought a lot of quaint native artefacts, or, as Rincewood would put it, junk. And even a seven foot ceremonial pig tickling pole seemed to fit inside quite easily without sticking out anywhere. I don't know, said Twoflower. You're a wizard. You know about these things. Yes, well, of course, but baggage magic is a highly specialized art, said Rincewind. Anyway, I'm sure the gnomes wouldn't really want to sell it. It's it's uh it's uh he groped through what he knew of Twoflower's mad vocabulary. It's uh, it's a tourist attraction. Uh, "'What's that?' said Swires, interestedly. "'It means that um, lots of people like him will come and look at it,' said Rincewind. "'Why?' "'Because,' Rincewind groped for words, "'it's quaint, um, oldy worldy, uh, uh, folklore folkloresque. "'It's a delightful example of a vanished folk art "'steeped in the traditions of an age long gone.' "'It is?' said Swires, looking at the cottage in bewilderment. Yes. All that? Afraid so. I'll help you pack. And the night wears on, under a blanket of lowering clouds which covers most of the disk, which is fortuitous because when it clears and the astrologers get a good view of the sky, they are going to get angry and upset. And in various parts of the forest, parties of wizards are getting lost and going round in circles and hiding from each other and getting upset because whenever they bump into a tree it apologizes to them, "'But unsteadily though it may be, many of them are getting quite close to the cottage. "'Which is a good time to get back to the rambling buildings of Unseen University, "'and in particular the apartments of Greyhound Spold, "'currently the oldest wizard on the disc, and determined to keep it that way. "'He has just been extremely surprised and upset. "'For the last few hours he has been very busy.' He may be deaf and a little hard of thinking, but elderly wizards have a very well-trained survival instinct, and they know that when a tall figure in a black robe and the latest in agricultural hand tools starts looking thoughtfully at you, it is time to act fast. The servants have been dismissed, the doorways have been sealed with a paste made from powdered mayflies, and protective octograms have been drawn on the windows. Rare and rather smelly oils have been poured in complex patterns on the floor, in designs which hurt the eyes and suggest the designer was drunk, or from some other dimension, or possibly both. In the very centre of the room is the eightfold octogram of withholding, surrounded by red and green candles, and in the centre of that is a box made from wood of the curly fern pine, which grows to a great age, and it is lined with red silk and yet more protective amulets because Greyhound Spold knows that death is looking for him, and has spent many years designing an impregnable hiding place. He has just set the complicated clockwork of the lock, and shut the lid, lying back in the knowledge that here at last is the perfect defence against the most ultimate of all his enemies, although as yet he has not considered the important part that air-holes must play in an enterprise of this kind. And right beside him, very close to his ear, a voice has just said, Dark in here, isn't it? It began to snow. The barley-sugar windows of the cottage showed bright and cheerful against the blackness. At one side of the clearing, three tiny red points of light glowed momentarily, and there was the sound of a chesty cough, abruptly silenced. Shut up! hissed a third-rank wizard. They'll hear us. Who will? We gave the lads from the Brotherhood of the Hood the slip in the swamp, and those idiots from the Venerable Council of Seers went off the wrong way anyway. Yeah, said the most junior wizard. But who keeps talking to us? They say this is a magic wood. It's full of goblins and wolves and trees, said a voice out of the darkness high above. It possessed what can only be described as tambra. "'Yeah,' said the youngest wizard. "'He sucked on his dog end and shivered. "'The leader of the party peered over the rock and watched the cottage. "'Right then,' he said, "'knocking out his pipe on the heel of his seven-league boot, "'who squeaked in protest. "'We rush in, we grab them, we're away, okay?' "'You sure it's just people?' said the youngest wizard nervously. "'Of course I'm sure,' snarled the leader. "'What do you expect, three bears?' They could be monsters.' "'This is the sort of wood that has monsters.' "'And trees,' said a friendly voice from the branches. "'Yeah,' said the leader cautiously. Grinswind looked carefully at the bed. It was quite a nice little bed in a sort of hard toffee inlaid with caramel, but he'd rather eat it than sleep in it, and it looked as though someone already had. "'Someone's been eating my bed,' he said. I like toffee, said Twoflower defensively. If you don't watch out, the fairy will come and take all your teeth away, said Rincewind. No, that's elves, said Swires from the dressing table. Elves do that. Toenails too. Very touchy at times, elves can be. Twoflower sat down heavily on his bed. ''You've got it wrong,'' he said. ''Elves are noble and beautiful and wise and fair. I'm sure I read that somewhere.'' Swire's and Rinswin's kneecap exchanged glances. ''I think you must be thinking about different elves,'' the gnome said slowly. ''We've just got the other sort round here. Uh, Not that you'd call them quick-tempered,'' he added hastily. ''Not if you didn't want to take your teeth home in your hat, anyway.'' there was the tiny distinctive sound of a nougar door opening. At the same time, from the other side of the cottage came the faintest of tinkles, like a rock smashing a barley-sugar window as delicately as possible. "'What was that?' said Twoflower. "'Which one?' said Rincewind. There was the clonk of a heavy branch banging against the window sill, With a cry of, "'Elves!' swires scuttled across the floor to a mouse hole and vanished. "'What shall we do?' said Twoflower. "'Panic?' "'said Rincewind, hopefully. "'He always held that panic was the best means of survival. "'Back in the olden days his theory went "'people faced with hungry sabre-toothed tigers "'could be divided very simply into those who panicked "'and those who stood there saying, "'What a magnificent brute! "'And here, pussy!' "'There's a cupboard,' said Twoflower, "'pointing to a narrow door that was squeezed "'between the wall and the chimney-breast. "'They scrambled into sweet, musty darkness.' There was the creak of a chocolate floorboard outside. Someone said, I heard voices. Someone else said, Yeah, downstairs. I think it's the Hoodwinkers. I thought you said we'd given them the slip. Hey, you two, you can eat this place. Here, look, you can... Shut up. There was a lot more creaking, and a muffled scream from downstairs where a venerable seer, creeping carefully through the darkness from the broken window, had trodden on the fingers of a hoodwinker who was hiding under the table. There was the sudden zip and zing of magic. "'Bugger!' said a voice outside. "'They've got him! Let's go!' There was more creaking, and then silence. After a while, 2 Flower said, "'Rincewind, I think there's a broomstick in this cupboard.' Well, what's so unusual about that? This one's got handlebars. There was a piercing shriek from below. In the darkness, a wizard had tried to open the luggage's lid. A crash from the scullery indicated the sudden arrival of a party of illuminated mages of the unbroken circle. What do you think they're after? whispered Twoflower. I don't know, but I think it might be a good idea not to find out, said Rincewind thoughtfully. You could be right. Rincewind pushed open the door gingerly. The room was empty. He tiptoed across to the window and looked down into the upturned faces of three brothers of the Order of Midnight. "'That's him!' he drew back hurriedly and rushed for the stairs. The scene below was indescribable, but since that statement would earn the death penalty in the reign of Olaf Quimby II, the attempt better be made. Firstly, most of the struggling wizards were trying to illuminate the scene by various flames, fireballs, and magical glows, so the overall lighting gave the impression of a disco in a strobe-light factory.' Each man was trying to find a position from which he could see the rest of the room without being attacked himself, and absolutely everyone was trying to keep out of the way of the luggage, which had two venerable seers pinned in a corner and was snapping its lid at anyone who approached. But one wizard did happen to look up. It's him! Rincewind jerked back, and something bumped into him. He looked around hurriedly and stared where he saw two flowers sitting on the broomstick, which was floating in mid-air. "'The witch must have left it behind,' said Twoflower. "'A genuine magic broomstick!' "'Rincewind hesitated. "'Octurine's sparks were spitting off the broomstick's bristles, "'and he hated heights almost more than anything else. "'But what he really hated more than anything at all "'was a dozen very angry and bad-tempered wizards "'rushing up the stairs towards him, and this was happening. "'All right,' he said, "'but I'll drive.' He lashed out with a boot at a wizard who was halfway through a spell of binding and jumped onto the broomstick, which bobbed down the stairwell and then turned upside down so that Rincewind was horribly eye to eye with the Brother of Midnight. He yelped and gave the handlebars a convulsive twist. Several things happened at once. The broomstick shot forward and broke through the wall in a shower of crumbs. The luggage surged forwards and bit the brother in the leg, and with a strange whistling sound, an arrow appeared from nowhere, missed Rincewind by inches, "'and struck the luggage's lid with a very solid thud. "'The luggage vanished. "'In a little village deep in the forest, "'an ancient shaman threw a few more twigs on his fire "'and stared through the smoke at his shame-faced apprentice. "'A box with legs on?' he said. "'Yes, master. "'It just appeared out of the sky, and... "'Looked at me,' said the Apprentice. "'It had eyes, then, this box?' "'No,' began the Apprentice, and stopped, puzzled. The old man frowned. "'Many have seen Topaxi, god of the red mushroom, "'and they earn the name of Shaman,' he said. "'Some have seen Skelday, spirit of the smoke, "'and they are called sorcerers.' "'A few have been privileged to see um Cheryl, the soul of the forest, "'and they are known as spirit masters. "'But none have seen a box with hundreds of legs that looked at them without eyes, "'and they are known as idiot.' "'The interruption was caused by a sudden screaming noise "'and a flurry of snow and sparks that blew the fire across the dark hut. "'There was a brief blurred vision, "'and then the opposite wall was blasted aside and the apparition vanished.' There was a long silence, then a slightly shorter silence. Then the old shaman said carefully, You didn't just see two men go through upside down at a broomstick, shouting and screaming at each other, did you? The boy looked at him levelly. Certainly not, he said. The old man heaved a sigh of relief. Thank goodness for that, he said. Neither did I. The cottage was in turmoil because not only did the wizards want to follow the broomstick, they also wanted to prevent each other from doing so, and this led to several regrettable incidents. The most spectacular, and certainly the most tragic, happened when one seer attempted to use his seven-league boots without the proper sequence of spells and preparations. Seven-league boots, as has already been intimated, are a tricksy form of magic at best. And he remembered too late that the utmost caution must be taken in using a means of transport which, when all is said and done, relies for its effectiveness on trying to put one foot twenty-one miles in front of the other. The first snowstorms of winter were raging, and in fact there was a suspiciously heavy covering of cloud over most of the disk and yet from far above and by the silver light of the disk world's tiny moon it presented one of the most beautiful sights in the multiverse. Great streamers of cloud, hundreds of miles long, swirled from the waterfall at the rim of the mountains of the hub. In the cold crystal silence, the huge white spiral glittered frostily under the stars, imperceptibly turning, very much as though God had stirred his coffee and then poured the cream in. Nothing disturbed the glowing scene, which, something small and distant, broke through the cloud layer, trailing sheds of vapour. In the stratospheric calm, the sounds of bickering became sharp and clear. You said you could fly one of these things. No, I didn't. I just said you couldn't. But I've never been on one before. What a coincidence. Anyway, you said, look at the sky. No, I didn't. What's happened to the stars? And so it was that Rincewind and Twoflower became the first two people on the disc to see what the future held. A thousand miles behind them, the hub mountain of Cori Celesti stabbed the sky and cast a knife-bright shadow across the broiling clouds, so that gods ought to have noticed too. But the gods don't normally look at the sky, and in any case were engaged in litigation with the ice giants who had refused to turn their radio down. Rimwards, in the direction of great Artuin's travel, the sky had been swept of stars. In that circle of blackness, there was just one star, a red and baleful star, a star like the glitter in the eye socket of a rabid mink. It was small and horrible and uncompromising, and the disc was being carried straight towards it. Rincewind knew precisely what to do in these circumstances. He screamed and pointed the broomstick straight down. Golda Weatherwax stood in the center of the octagram and raised his hands. Charlo, Dileptor, kohula do my bidding.' A small mist formed over his head. He glanced sideways at Trumon, who was sulking at the edge of the magic circle. "'This next bit's quite impressive,' he said. "'Watch. Caught Bahá'í, Kot sham.' To me, oh, spirits of small isolated rocks and worried mice not less than three inches long. What? said Truman. That bit took quite a lot of research, agreed Golder. Especially the mice. Anyway, where was I? Oh, yes. He raised his arms again. Trumon watched him and licked his lips distractedly. The old fool was really concentrating, bending his mind entirely to the spell, and hardly paying any attention to Trumon. Words of power rolled around the room, bouncing off the walls and scuttling out of sight behind shelves and jars. Trumon hesitated. Golder shut his eyes momentarily, his face a mask of ecstasy as he mouthed the final word. Trumon tensed, his fingers curling around the knife again, and Golder opened one eye, nodded at him, and sent a sideways blast of power that picked the younger man up and sent him sprawling against the wall. Golder winked at him and raised his arms again. To me, O oh spirits of— There was a thunderclap, an implosion of light, and a moment of complete physical uncertainty during which even the walls seemed to turn in on themselves. Truman heard a sharp intake of breath, and then a dull, solid thump. The room was suddenly silent. After a few minutes, Truman crawled out from behind a chair and dusted himself off. He whistled a few bars of nothing much and turned towards the door with exaggerated care, looking at the ceiling as if he'd never seen it before. He moved in a way that suggested he was attempting the world speed record for the nonchalant walk. The luggage squatted in the centre of the circle and opened its lid. Truman stopped. He turned very, very carefully, dreading what he might see. The luggage seemed to contain some clean laundry, smelling slightly of lavender. "'Somehow it was quite the most terrifying thing the wizard had ever seen.' "'Well,' uh," he said, "'you uh, wouldn't have seen another wizard around here by any chance?' "'The luggage contrived to look more menacing. "'Oh,' said Truman, "'well, fine. "'It doesn't matter.' "'He pulled vaguely at the hem of his robe "'and took a brief interest in the detail of its stitching. "'When he looked up, the horrible box was still there. Goodbye he said, and ran. He managed to get through the door just in time. Rincewind? Rincewind opened his eyes. Not that it helped much. It just meant that instead of seeing nothing but blackness, he saw nothing but whiteness, which, surprisingly, was worse. Are you all right? No. Ah. Rincewind sat up. He appeared to be on a rock speckled with snow, but it didn't seem to be everything a rock ought to be. For example, it shouldn't be moving. Snow blew around him. Twoflower was a few feet away, a look of genuine concern on his face. Rincewind groaned. His bones were very angry at the treatment they had recently received and were queuing up to complain. What now? he said. You know when we were flying and I was worried we might hit something in the storm and you said the only thing we could possibly hit at this height was a cloud stuffed with rocks? Well, how did you know? Rincewind looked around, but for all the variety and interest in the scene around him, they might as well have been in the inside of a ping-pong ball. The rock underneath was, well, rocking. He ran his hands over it and felt the scoring of chisels. When he put an ear to the cold, wet stone, he fancied he could hear a dull, slow thumping, like a heartbeat. He crawled forward until he came to an edge and peered very cautiously over it. At that moment, the rock must have been passing over a break in the clouds because he caught a dim but horribly distant view of jagged, edged mountain peaks. They were a long way down. He gurgled incoherently and inched his way backwards. "'This is ridiculous,' He told Twoflower, "Rocks don't fly; they're noted for not doing it. Maybe they would if they could," said Twoflower. "Perhaps this one just found out how. Let's hope it doesn't forget again," said Rinswind. He huddled up in his soaking robe and looked glumly at the cloud around him. He supposed there were some people somewhere who had some control over their lives. They got up in the mornings and went to bed at night in the reasonable certainty of not falling over the edge of the world or being attacked by lunatics or waking up on a rock with ideas above its station. He dimly remembered leading a life like that once. Rincewind sniffed. The rock smelt of frying. The smell seemed to be coming up from a head and appealed straight to his stomach. "'Can you smell anything?' he said. "'I think it's bacon.' "'said Two-Flower. "'I hope it's bacon,' said Rincewind, "'because I'm going to eat it.' "'He stood up on the trembling stone "'and tottered forward into the clouds "'peering through the wet gloom. "'At the front or leading edge of the rock "'a small druid was sitting cross-legged "'in front of a small fire. "'A square of oilskin was tied across his head "'and knotted under his chin. "'He was poking at a pan of bacon "'with an ornamental sickle. "'Um,' said Rincewind, The druid looked up, and dropped the pan into the fire. He leapt to his feet, and gripped the sickle aggressively, or at least as aggressively as anyone can look in a long, wet, white nightshirt and a dripping headscarf. "'I warn you, I shall deal harshly with hijackers,' he said, and sneezed violently. "'We'll help,' said Rincewind, looking longingly at the burning bacon. This seemed to puzzle the druid, who, to Rincewind's mild surprise, was quite young.' He supposed there had to be such a thing as young druids, theoretically. It was just that he'd never imagined them. You're not trying to steal the rock, said the druid, lowering the sickle a fraction. I didn't even know you could steal rocks, said Rincewind, wearily. Excuse me, said Twoflower politely. I think your breakfast is on fire. The druid glanced down and flailed ineffectually at the flames. Rincewind hurried forward to help. There was a fair amount of smoke, ash, and confusion, and the shared triumph of actually rescuing a few pieces of rather charred bacon did more good than a whole book on diplomacy. "'How did you get here, actually?' said the druid. "'We're five hundred feet up, unless I've got the rooms wrong again.' Rincewind tried not to think about height. "'We sort of dropped in as we were passing,' he said. "'On our way to the ground,' Twoflower added. "'Only your rock,' "'Broke our fall,' said Rincewind, his back complained. "'Thanks,' he added. "'I thought we'd run into some turbulence a while back,' said the druid, "'whose name turned out to be Bellafon. "'That must have been you,' he shivered. "'It must be morning by now,' he said. "'Sod the rules, I'm taking us up. Hang on.' "'What to?' said Rincewind. "'Well, just indicate a general unwillingness to fall off,' said Bellafon. He took a large iron pendulum out of his robe and swung it in a series of baffling sweeps over the fire. Clouds whipped around them. There was a horrible feeling of heaviness, and suddenly the rock burst into sunlight. It levelled off a few feet above the clouds in a cold but bright blue sky. The clouds that had seemed chillingly distant last night and horribly clammy this morning were now a fleecy white carpet, stretching away in all directions. A few mountain peaks stood out like islands. Behind the rock, the wind of its passage sculpted the clouds into transient whirls. The rock, it was about thirty feet long and ten feet wide, and bluish. What an amazing panorama, said Twoflower, his eyes shining. Um, what's keeping us up, said Rincewind. Persuasion, said Bellafon, wringing out the hem of his robe. Ah, said Rincewind sagely. "'Keeping them up is easy,' said the druid, "'holding up a thumb and squinting down the length of his arm at a distant mountain. "'The hard part is landing.' "'You wouldn't think so, would you?' said Twoflower. "'Persuasion is what keeps the whole universe together,' said Belafon. "'It's no good saying it's all done by magic.' "'Rincewind happened to glance down through the thinning cloud "'to a snowy landscape a considerable distance below. "'He knew he was in the presence of a madman,' "'but he was used to that. "'If listening to this madman meant he stayed up here, he was all ears. Bellophon sat down with his feet dangling over the edge of the rock. "'Look, don't worry,' he said. "'If you keep thinking the rock shouldn't be flying, "'it might hear you and become persuaded, "'and you will turn out to be right, OK? "'It's obvious you aren't up to date with modern thinking.' "'So it would seem,' said Rincewind weakly. He was trying not to think about rocks on the ground. He was trying to think about rocks swooping like swallows, bounding across landscapes in the sheer joy of levity, zooming skywards in a... He was horribly aware he wasn't very good at it. The druids of the disc prided themselves on their forward-looking approach to the discovery of the mysteries of the universe. Of course, like druids everywhere, they believed in the essential unity of all life, the healing power of plants, the natural rhythm of the seasons, and the burning alive of anyone who didn't approach all this in the right frame of mind. But they had also thought long and hard about the very basis of creation, and had formulated the following theory. The universe, they said, depended for its operation on the balance of four forces, which they identified as charm, persuasion, uncertainty, and bloody-mindedness. Thus it was that the sun and moon orbited the disk because they were persuaded not to fall down, but didn't actually fly away because of uncertainty. Charm allowed trees to grow, and bloody-mindedness kept them up, and so on. Some druids suggested that there were certain flaws in this theory, but senior druids explained very pointedly that there was indeed room for informed argument, the cut and thrust of exciting scientific debate, and basically it lay on top of the next solstice bonfire. "'Ah, so you're an astronomer,' said Twoflower. "'Oh, no,' said Belafon, as the rock drifted gently around the curve of a mountain. "'I'm a computer hardware consultant.' "'What's a computer hardware?' "'Well, this is,' said the druid, tapping the rock with a sandaled foot. "'Part of one, anyway. It's a replacement. I'm delivering it. "'They're having trouble with the big circles up on the vortex planes. "'So they say, anyway.' "'I wish I had a bronze talk for every user who didn't read the manual,' he shrugged. "Um, what use is it, then, exactly?' asked Rincewind. "'Anything to keep his mind off the drop below. "'You can use it to, uh to tell you what time of year it is,' said Bellafon. "'Ah, you mean, if it's covered in snow, then it must be winter?' "'Yes. I mean, no. I mean, supposing you wanted to know when a particular star is going to rise?' Why? said Twoflower, radiating polite interest. Well, maybe you want to know when to plant your crops, said Bellophon, sweating a little. Or maybe... I'll lend you my almanac if you like, said Twoflower. Almanac? It's a book that tells you what day it is, said Rincewind wearily. It'd be right up your ley-line. Bellophon stiffened. Book? he said. Like... with paper? "'Yes. That doesn't sound very reliable to me,' said the druid nastily. "'How can a book know what day it is? Paper can't count.' He stamped off to the front of the rock, causing it to wallow alarmingly. Rincewind swallowed hard and beckoned Twoflower closer. "'Have you ever heard of culture, shock?" he hissed. "'What's that?' It's what happens when people spend five hundred years trying to get a stone circle to work properly, and then someone comes up with a little book with a page for every day and little chatty bits saying things like, now is a good time to plant broad beans, and early to rise, early to bed makes a man healthy, wealthy and dead. And do you know what the most important thing to remember about culture shock? Rincewind paused for breath and moved his lips, silently trying to remember where the sentence had got to. Is... He concluded. What? Don't give it to a man flying a thousand-ton rock. Has it gone? Truman peered cautiously over the battlements of the Tower of Art, the great spire of crumbling masonry that loomed over unseen university. The cluster of students and instructors of magic far below nodded. "'Are you sure?' the bursar cupped his hands and shouted. "'It broke down the hubward door and escaped an hour ago, sir,' he yelled. "'Wrong,' said Trumon. "'It left. We escaped. Well, I'll be getting down then. Did it get anyone?' The bursar swallowed. He was not a wizard, but a kind, good-natured man, who should not have had to see the things he had witnessed in the past hour." Of course, it wasn't unknown for small demons, coloured lights and various half-materialised imaginings to wander around the campus, but there had been something about the implacable onslaught of the luggage that had unnerved him. Trying to stop it would have been like trying to wrestle a glacier. It it swallowed the Dean of Liberal Studies, sir, he shouted. Truman brightened. It's an ill wind, he murmured. He started down the long spiral staircase. After a while he smiled, a thin, tight smile. The day was definitely improving. There was a lot of organising to do, and if there was something Croomon really liked, it was organising. The rock swooped across the high plains, whipping snow from the drifts a mere few feet below. Bellafon scuttled about urgently, smearing a little mistletoe ointment here, chalking a rune there, while Rincewind cowered in terror and exhaustion, and Twoflower worried about his luggage. "'Up ahead!' screamed the druid above the noise of the slipstream. "'Behold, the great computer of the skies!' Rincewind peered between his fingers. On the distant skyline was an immense construction of grey and black slabs, arranged in concentric circles and mystic avenues, gaunt and forbidding against the snow. Surely men couldn't have moved those nascent mountains. Surely a troop of giants had been turned to stone by some... It looks like a lot of rocks, said Twoflower. Belafon hesitated in mid-gesture. What? he said. It's very nice, added the tourist hurriedly. He sought for a word. Ethnic, he decided. The druid stiffened. "'Nice!' he said. "'A triumph of the silicone chunk! "'A miracle of modern Masonic technology! "'Nice!' "'Oh, yes!' said Twoflower, "'to whom sarcasm was merely a seven-letter word beginning with S. "'What does ethnic mean?' said the Druid. "'It means terribly impressive,' said Rincewind hurriedly, "'and we seem to be in danger of landing, if you don't mind.' Belafon turned around, only slightly mollified. He raised his arms wide and shouted a series of untranslatable words ending with Nice in a hurt whisper. The rock slowed, drifted sideways in a billow of snow, and hovered over the circle. Down below, a druid waved two bunches of mistletoe in complicated patterns, and Belafon skillfully brought the massive slab to rest across two giant uprights with the faintest of clicks. Rincewind let his breath out in a long sigh. It hurried off to hide somewhere. A ladder banged against the side of the slab, and the head of an elderly druid appeared over the edge. He gave the two passengers a puzzled glance and then looked up at Belfon. About bloody time, he said. Seven weeks, the hogs watch night, and it's gone down on us again. Hello, Zachariah," said Bellfon. What happened this time? It's all Totally fouled up. Today it predicted sunrise three minutes early. Talk about a klutz, boy. This is it. Bellophon clambered onto the ladder and disappeared from view. The passengers looked at each other and then stared down into the vast open space between the inner circle of stones. What shall we do now? said Twoflower. We could go to sleep, suggested Rincewind. Twoflower ignored him and climbed down the ladder. Around the circle, druids were tapping the megaliths with little hammers and listening intently. Several of the huge stones were lying on their sides, and each was surrounded by another crowd of druids who were examining it carefully and arguing amongst themselves. Arcane phrases floated up to where Rincewind sat. "'It can't be software incompatibility. "'The chant of the trodden spiral was designed for concentric rings, idiot. "'I say fire it up again and try a simple moon ceremony.' All right, all right. Nothing's wrong with the stones. It's just that the universe has gone wrong, right? Through the mists of his exhausted mind, Rincewind remembered the horrible star they'd seen in the sky. Something had gone wrong with the universe last night. How had he come to be back on the disc? He had a feeling that the answers were somewhere inside his head, and an even more unpleasant feeling began to dawn on him that something else was watching the scene below. Watching it from behind his eyes. The spell had crept from its lair deep in the untrodden dirt roads of his mind and was sitting, bold as brass, in his forebrain, watching the passing scene and doing the mental equivalent of eating popcorn. He tried to push it back, and the world vanished. He was in darkness, a warm, musty darkness, the darkness of the tomb, the velvet blackness of the mummy case. There was a strong smell of old leather, and the sourness of ancient paper. The paper rustled. He felt that the darkness was full of unimaginable horrors, and the trouble with unimaginable horrors was that they were only too easy to imagine. Rincewind, said a voice. Rincewind had never heard a lizard speak, but if one did, it would have a voice like that. Um, he said, yes? The voice chuckled a strange sound, rather papery. "'You ought to say, where am I?' it said. "'Would I like it if I knew?' said Rincewind. He stared hard at the darkness. Now that he was accustomed to it, he could see something, something vague, hardly bright enough to be anything at all, just the merest tracery in the air, something strangely familiar. "'All right,' he said. "'Where am I?' "'You are dreaming.' "'Can I wake up now, please?' "'No,' said another voice, as old and dry as the first, but still slightly different. "'We have something very important to tell you,' said a third voice. "'If anything, more corpse-dry than the others.' "'Rincewind nodded stupidly. "'In the back of his mind the spell lurked and peered cautiously over his mental shoulder.' "'You've caused us a lot of trouble, young Vince Wind. the voice went on. "'All this dropping over the edge of the world with no thought for other people. "'We had to seriously distort reality, you know. "'Gosh, and now you have a very important task ahead of you.' "'Oh, good.' Many years ago we arranged for one of our number to hide in your head because we could foresee a time coming when you would need to play a very important role. Me? Why? You run away a lot, said one of the voices. That is good. You are a survivor. Survivor? I've nearly been killed dozens of times. Exactly. Oh. But try not to fall off the disc again. We really can't have that. Who are we, exactly? said Rincewind. There was a rustling in the darkness. In the beginning was the word, said a dry voice right behind him. "'It was the egg,' corrected another voice. "'I distinctly remember the great egg of the universe. "'Slightly rubbery.' "'You're both wrong, in fact. "'I'm sure it was the primordial slime.' "'A voice by Rincewind's knee said, "'No, that came afterwards. "'There was a firmament first. "'Lots of firmament. "'Rather sticky.' "'like candy-floss. Very syrupy. in fact.' "'In case anyone's interested,' said a crackly voice on Rincewind's left. "'You're all wrong. In the beginning was the clearing of the throat. "'Then the word—pardon me, the slime—distinctly rubbery, I thought. "'There was a pause. Then a voice said carefully— "'Anyway, whatever it was, we remember it distinctly.' "'Quite so.' "'Exactly. "'And our task is to see that nothing dreadful happens to it, Rincewind.' "'Rincewind squinted into the blackness. "'Would you kindly explain what you're talking about?' "'There was a papery sigh.' "'So much for metaphor,' said one of the voices. "'Look, it is very important you safeguard the spell in your head "'and bring it back to us at the right time. "'You understand? "'So that when the moment is precisely right, "'we can be said. "'Do you understand?' End of CD 2